Well, I've been, um, for the past, uh, not this last week, but the couple weeks before that, I was up hanging out at uh, Western Theological, where I'm, I'm currently working on my doctorate of ministry, and so I was up there for a couple of weeks, and those guys are fancier than we are. They're from what we call a more liturgical tradition. You ever heard that phrase before, liturgical? That just means fancier than you. <laughs> and they have a fancy way of reading the Bible. They, they, they kind of have a, the, there are certain things that happen in every service. And one of the ways they read the Bible is that when the person, uh, the person who is going to read the text for the day will stand up and the word of the Lord and they'll read the text. And then they'll end that reading with saying the word of the Lord. And then you respond. Anybody know? A couple of you know. Thanks be to God. So I'll read the text and I'll end the word of the Lord and you will respond Thanks be to God. Really simple. See, being fancy is not that hard. It's not that hard. Our text today uh, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. If you're using the Pew Bible like I am, the, the Bible is just right there in front of you. It's on page 165. 165. So here we go as you, as you find it. Deuteronomy 23. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. No one born of a forbidden union may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Some of you had trouble with that. That's a verse you probably have not read in church before. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that just, just on the surface? Let's just stop for a second because we call this whole book the what? Word of God. And yet there are verses we don't read in church, aren't there? That's interesting. Why do we choose those verses? And isn't it interesting that God chose different verses than you chose? I really dig this text, which is why I wanted to share it with you. I think it's awesome. And I sometimes like to locate a problem. So I know that you're, you're, you don't come to the Bible. Some of you don't come to the Bible with the same level of excitement that I do, and that's okay. And so I try to locate a problem. Like, what's a problem in the text that you in your daily life can plug into that can help this text have meaning for you? And if I did that, I would locate it right here. What does eunuchs have to do with you? What do eunuchs have to do? That, that's really the context of this, of this verse. The first verse there, verse 1, is describing or dealing with the issue of, of eunuchs. And, and for those of you who don't know, that's all right. You don't run, run into, I doubt anyway, run into eunuchs on any kind of daily basis, basis. But this is the process of taking a, usually beginning with a young man, emasculating him so that he may serve the harem of the king. Because if you're a king, and you have a whole room full of beautiful ladies, and you only visit them once in a while because you have a whole room full of them, after all, they need servants, and if they are going to have servants, they'll have male servants as well, but you're not going to trust the man in the room with all the beautiful ladies. Makes sense, right? So you take care of the problem, as it were. The second line there, um, we have a forbidden union. 
a forbidden union. And this means anyone who is born outside of wedlock, whether we're talking about somebody who is born because of fornication, sex before marriage, or somebody who is born because of adultery, sex that's sort of breaking the marriage covenant. Anyone who is born of a forbidden union may not enter the assembly of the Lord. An Ammonite and a Moabite, these are foreigners, people who do not belong to Israel, but have been, for whatever reason, maybe they, maybe they married in, who knows, whatever happened, they engrafted into Israel, they are not allowed into the assembly of the Lord. Which brings up another line, another important element. What is the assembly of the Lord? It doesn't mean to like, just be in Israel. You can be there. It's talking about something very particular. And the very particular thing is this, that if you are fitting these categories, you are not allowed to go into the tabernacle, this great big tent that they had uh, immaculately built. And within that tent is a smaller tent. And in, then within that tent is an even smaller tent. And inside of that spot, the Holy of Holies, we call it, God's glory would come and descend. And he would live, literally live for a time in the midst of his people. And when the glory of God would come and descend on that, all of the people would go into the tabernacle, into this tent of meeting, into the assembly of the Lord, and they would worship in the presence of God. And here we have three groups of people who are not allowed in. Now, perhaps that doesn't interest you because you're not a eunuch. Uh, but I am a product of a forbidden union. I would not be allowed into the presence of God. Nor would my daughters. Nor would their children. And their children and their children all the way down to the 10th generation. I am not allowed in. That's an interesting thought. As I read that, I was like, wow, that's me. I'm not allowed. I met my biological father when I was 21 years old. 21? 21, something like that. An adult. So I'm not allowed in to the presence of God. So that struck me as interesting, beyond just the, the, the splashiness of being eunuchs and uh, reading that passage in church. So what's going on here? What matters now, I remember I've been encouraging you guys to think about not just the practices, because what we have here in this book are all kinds of different practices that nece- don't necessarily include your daily practices. As I said, we don't run into eunuchs all the time. This is not, and I don't know the last, when's the last time you ran into an Ammonite or a Moabite, right? I mean, this is not something we agree, we, we run into all the time. So we're talking about practices, and, and sometimes they don't seem like they, they matter. They don't tell us a lot about how to live in the world, but they do tell us a lot about who I am in the world and what is the world that I live in. This text, I think, begins with, let's call it a, a spiritual truth. I don't know that I like the word spiritual, uh, but, but what I mean by that is to say, God-oriented. This tells us something about who God is and something that I think many of us do not consider about who God is and what God is like. So we begin with an ontological statement, a statement about the very essence, the very being of God. And we begin by saying that God is holy, which is to say other, apart, different. In fact, God is so other and so apart, we use really vague and odd words like other. When Moses shows up to the burning bush, many of you know this story so well, he shows up to the burning bush and, and he says, you want me to go and tell a bunch of people who have never heard of you or who, who, who barely know you to, to follow me and I'm going to face down this angry mob and they're going to say, well, tell me, what God are you talking about? So give me your name, God. And God says, I am. That's the least helpful name I've ever heard. I exist. 
Okay, great. What does that tell me about you? That doesn't give us any... Right? God is so other. We don't have any categories to even come close to understanding how, ber- how perfect, how beautiful, how wonderful, how... Take the word perfect. God is perfect. What do you think of when you think of the word perfect? Now take that perfect thing, whatever you mean by that, and elevate it to godness. How close do we come to that? And beyond that, what's interesting and scandalous about the Bible is that God is so other, he's so perfect, he's so glorious, and yet he seems to want to dwell with his creation. He wants to be your neighbor. What do we see in Genesis, early, the early chapters of Genesis? God is walking in the morning, and he's calling out, Adam and Eve, where are you? I'm going for my morning stroll. What a strange, what a strange thing. That's the kind of intimacy that God had with Adam and Eve. And that's the kind of intimacy that he continues to want to have. And yet as we continue to read through Genesis, we see a widening gulf between who God is and his perfection and where we were in that moment, able to walk next to God. First we see a removal from his presence in the garden. Then we see a removal from the tree of life. And then we see a removal of life itself. The early chapters of Genesis, we have people who live for centuries and centuries and God says, I will not compete with man anymore. I'm limiting his life. He's so, he's taken this life, these hundreds of years that I've given, and he's sowed nothing but violence and grief into the world. What have you sowed with your short life? Now add 500 years to it. This widening gulf that separates us from God in his holiness and his perfection. We begin there. And recognizing that. And then we stand amazed that the first thing that God does in this text is he assumes everyone belongs. You notice that inclusion is the first thought. He doesn't say, well, this person can come and this person can come and this person can come and this person can come. He simply says, everyone in Israel is welcome. And then he says, now here are some groups that can't. So it begins with grace. I know that we don't necessarily think of that on the front end because we're so used to using words like rights. It's my right. Rights don't apply biblically. These are not the same ideas. You don't have a right to God. God does not owe you something. You are a creation of his hands. And it is by his grace that he comes down to us. In any way whatsoever, it is that and it's hard for us to think that way because we're so inundated by culture to think that, that we have rights and this is, this is owed to us. I should be able to do whatever I want to do and as long as it doesn't... These, these, these categories don't work biblically. God is sovereign over all things and he calls us to be perfect if we want to be in his presence and yet you and I both know there's no way that we can do that. And so, as we contemplate the holiness, the otherness, the might, the power, the beauty of God, we see then two things at work that separate us from God. The first is very familiar to those of you who have ever been in church. It is moral sin, moral failures, things that we've done wrong. We have erred in our lives, and because we have erred in our lives, we are separated from God. God said, this is the way I want you to live. And you said, rather not. But beyond that, there are physical effects of sin that separate us from God. Have you ever thought about that? That's what we see here. 
a physical effect of sin, uh, the, the person who has been emasculated, the person who has been born of some sort of illicit relationship, the person who was not born in Israel, they are not able. Now, we're not using words like salvation, so sometimes we, we add salvation to everything, and, and that's not what's being said here, but entering into the presence of God, these people are outside, and they're not allowed to come in. To make a point, I am outside and not allowed to come in. In fact, this is so, this is so stringent, the, uh, the, the Levitical code, the Levites, remember, who, they were the ones who were, who were tending to the temple. They were the ones who would go into that holy place and they would, they would make the sacrifices for the people. They had to wash themselves, they had to dress themselves in a proper attire. They had very strict rules, but they also had this. God says to Moses to tell Aaron this line. He says, speak to Aaron saying, no man of your descendants in succeeding generations who has any defect may approach to offer the bread of his God. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about the bread of his God. Um, just to, we don't need to focus on that. I want you to focus on this bit. That who has any defect? Which means if you're a Levite and you're born needing a wheelchair or you're born lame or you're born having eye problems or whatever, whatever defect you might have physically, you are not allowed to go into the presence of God and to serve him in this way. Because all of those physical effects of sin, all those physical deformities that we have, these are effects of sin. Adam and Eve were perfect. Morally and physically, they could be in the presence of God. But as sin increases the gulf between us, not only does our moral character get worse and worse, separating us further and further from God, but our physical bodies are affected by sin and separate us from God. Now, some of you are offended Um, because you rightly have an objection. And what's your objection? That's not fair. That's not fair. I mean, no one asks to be made a eunuch. <laughs> you get that. No one asks to be made a eunuch. No one asks to be born. I didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask to be born. You didn't ask to be an Ammonite or a Moabite. It's just that's where you were at. That's not fair. Who told you life is fair? It wasn't fair when that man forced himself on you. You didn't ask for that. And yet you bear the scars of it. You didn't ask for your parents to get a divorce. Yet they did. And you bear the effects of that. You didn't ask for those bullies to push you around at school. You didn't ask for all. There are two kinds of sin that happen in this world, right? There's the sin that we do and the sin that is done to us. Things that are done to us. Life is not fair. And that not fairness and that sin that not only we do, but we do to others and we carry that on through generations and generations, all of this builds up and there is a wall between us and God. And maybe that wall is not even your fault. Maybe that wall is not even your fault. So, where does this leave us? This should leave us with two important points. The first uh, important point uh, is, that, is that God is holier than you think he is. He is more perfect than you think he is. Because we just think about the things we do. We don't think about how all the things that have been done to us affect us and it spreads. Sin like a cancer spreads to all of us. 
Now, what this should have done for the Israelites when they read this is move them beyond just the practical, uh, spirit, just the spiritual end of things. Well, this is, this is something about the character of God. It should have get, brought them to some practical, some human-oriented things like, hey, if we know that if we, have you, if we make eunuchs, they can't enter the presence of God, how about we stop making eunuchs? That's a great idea. It's a horrific, barbaric practice. It is evil. And yet, guess what the Israelites did? Continue to make eunuchs for their kings. If you know that uh, an illicit relationship, you know that God desires a man and a woman to be bonded for life, and you know that if you step outside of that, not only are you bringing sin upon yourself, but you're bringing sin upon others around you, maybe you shouldn't do that. And yet, what do Israelites do? What do we do? We continue the sin. We sin outwardly, we sin inwardly, we sin all around us. Just building up and up and up. And so we learn God is holier than we thought he was. We learn that the gulf between us and God is much larger than we ever thought it was. We realize that there's no way that I could ever, I mean, I can be a good person, but I can't undo how I was born, right? I can't undo that. That was done to me. And I bear all kinds of effects from the family that I was born into, Good and ill, many ill. Some of you guys know that experience yourselves. And so I quote Rich Mullins, man, we want to go there something awful, but to stand there will take some grace. And the good news is this, God has not changed. He is as holy now as he ever has been, and yet he stepped even deeper into our world to bridge the gulf and bring us to him. So, let's turn to the book of Isaiah. This will be on page, the text I'm going to read is from Isaiah 56. Um, It's page 616 if you're using the Pew Bible. I want to kind of preface it a little bit. Isaiah is a a very long book. It's one of the greatest prophets. Uh, He talks more about the coming Messiah than any of the other prophets, and he gives us something we call the servant songs, which are these songs that talk about the coming Messiah. And we get to Psalm 50, or we get to chapter 53, in which he very famously, and you've probably heard this quoted, maybe, uh, maybe around uh, uh, Resurrection Sunday, Passion, the week of the Passion, these kinds of things, but he says this about the Messiah, the Messiah will come, and surely he will bear our griefs and carry our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, Smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. For we have all like sheep gone astray. We have turned every one of us to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him, upon his Messiah, our iniquities. Our iniquities. And I know that you've often heard of that and thought of that as far as your moral failures, but I want you to understand the great power of sin because it's far bigger than just the, 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 the mistakes, the errors you make. What's tremendous about this is what Isaiah is saying. He's prophesying. You see, there's coming a Messiah, and this Messiah is going to do something different. He is going to take the weight of sin, and it's going to bring about something completely new. In chapters 54 and 55, God talks about the compassion and mercy he's going to pour out onto the world. And then he gets to chapter 56, and here comes the pertinent text. 
Verse 3, let no foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, that is, I can't bear children. For thus says the Lord, to eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I think of, it struck me that this might have application or might have, have a good word to those um, who are in, unable to have children at all, whether you're talking about um, infertility in man or in a woman, that what God is able to do is to build within his house and within his walls a monument better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off, and foreigners who join themselves to the Lord and minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, every one who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it, who holds the covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. For my house shall be called a prayer for all of the nations. And I hope you caught that. I hope you caught that. The, the effects of sin are much bigger than we understand and we give it credit for. The holiness of God is far greater than we can imagine or understand. And the gulf between us and that holy God is wider than we could even possibly comprehend. You don't even know the amount of errors in your life. And yet what word do we have from this? That God is sending a Messiah on whom he will lay the full weight of sin upon him and that this will produce redemption not just for the sins that we do but for the sins that were done to you. Some of you are able to say, maybe you're not a eunuch or born of a illicit marriage or an Ammonite or a Moabite, but you can say, I have experienced so much brokenness, I cannot come to God. There is no place for me in the assembly of the Lord. You feel so far from God, you say to yourself, I have no place for him and he has no place for me. And what is the good word of the prophet Isaiah? The prophet Isaiah says, no, the whole point of the Messiah coming is so that everyone, whether it is all that you have done or all that has been done to you, there is a home for you in God's house. And it is because of the name Jesus. Because of the name Jesus. Paul latches onto this very word in Galatians. He says, Before faith came, we were held captive under a law. The law revealed to us who we were. It revealed to us the holiness of God. It revealed to us our separation from God. It revealed to us the pain of sin and opened our eyes to the wideness of sin. We were imprisoned until the coming faith could be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, until the Messiah came, until the one that Isaiah foretold came. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under that guardian, but rather something new has come. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons and daughters through faith. For as many of you, I have this for you.
For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have now put on Christ. And so when God looks at me, he doesn't see born of a forbidden union. He doesn't see all the junk that I've done, which is as much and worse. He sees Christ. So there's no longer Jew and Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs of the promise of God. That's good news. That's beautiful. One of the things that uh, I find when I look back at the Old Testament and I read these passages in Deuteronomy, so many of them have things to say to me about how to live my life. So many of them have things to reveal to me about who God is. So many of them reveal the power of sin and the depth of sin and the depth of brokenness that not only I do but has been done to me and I do to others. Everything that you do affects everyone around you. There's not one thing that you say or do that doesn't impact everyone and everything. And the more grief we pour into the world, the larger the gap between us and grace, us and perfection, us and God. And the good news of the prophets is this. God didn't wash his hands of us. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He didn't say, I'm finished with this. He didn't say, these people are beyond redemption. He said, I will heal them all. I will heal them all. And here it is. If we come to Jesus, the fullness of the forgiveness, the welcoming of God, all of this is made possible. I think of the passage in Hebrews which says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, since we have great confidence... What is that great confidence? It isn't in what we've done. It isn't in our perfection. It isn't, it isn't even in our brokenness. It is in Jesus Christ himself. Because we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, we can now enter into the assembly of the Lord. Wherever you have done, wherever, wherever you have been, wherever you are from, whatever you have done, none of those things have to separate you from God. All of, all of those things can be washed away. And you can enter into the presence of God through the new and living way that has been opened through the cross. Since we have such a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of the faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, so here's your good word for the week, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting the assembling of the saints, but gathering more and more and more as you see the day drawing near. As we come to a conclusion this morning, If you sense that you're separated from God, we'll have our elders down front. They would love to pray with you, love to walk with you, love to help you move into that place of confidence and forgiveness that you can receive through Jesus Christ, that you can be in the presence of the living God, that nothing has to separate you from him if you'll but come. Let's stand as we sing the song of praise.